Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Uh, let me guess, your parents must be really proud. Yeah, I'd say that. I'd say that. Mom. Mom. But, but Mom. Johnny, how cool is it we get a chance to talk to my cousin Vinny? <laughs> Vinny is also cool. Vinny, you're cool too, Vinny. I'm sure. How proud? How proud are your parents of you? Ah, uh, they're 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 just happy I'm not uh, living on the street. That's that's all they care about. Uh, so we're gonna dive into it. I mean, this. I mean, it's a kind of intriguing thing that you guys write books together, but you guys have your own businesses separately. Is it? Do you find, I'm guessing you find enjoyment writing the books together. What's the passion behind writing the books together? It's a creative outlet. You know, we, we're both involved with professions that involve a lot of precision, a lot of things that have to keep us, you know, completely on focus. You know, you know, I come from a business where, you know, being creative, it's called malpractice. Okay. Where Johnny, when John's creative, it just means he's gotten a better decision in a court case. So I think the beautiful thing, Vinny, about, what we do is that we've been able to look at the other passion that we've actually had since we've been kids. You know, because Johnny and I pretty much made fun of everybody when we were growing up, right? Yes, I'd say so. <laughs> you know, so nobody, nobody went unscathed. They used to call us the cats and jammy kids because we would basically be making fun of everybody without them even knowing it. And as Johnny would say, we call that the, you know, the, the delayed bomb, which means a person, bomb. yeah, a person doesn't realize they've been insulted till about maybe 20 minutes later. So, <laughs> so Vinny, uh, that's so let I me mean, let's talk about it. you talk about growing up i mean who were you guys growing up you said writing books kind of the passion was it making the jokes and then how to put it in writing or what was what was it like growing up we had a you know a lot of fun okay we really really did we're basically working working class kids lived in working class places and we had a lot of fun. And sometimes being working class is very helpful to having fun. Yeah. And, uh, and we sort of wrote you know, about it, but, but, but with a serious more, a more serious note of saying how you have to use your gut to go forward in this, in, in this world. And that's pretty much what this book is about. And, we and, sort of, we're, and we're gonna get into to Street Mars and type a little deeper there. I mean, when, when I think of fun, right, when I think of kids having fun, right, you're like, are they ever going to get their stuff together and actually build a career and kind of put it out there? Was Did your parents push you on the pathway to build these careers and then this was something you kept hold on? Or how did we get from there to, to this point? It seems, I mean, two fun guys making, making jokes about other people, having fun. I mean, it seems like there's not a, a straight shot, but I could be wrong. Oh, no, you know, everyone's has a creative way. And John and I always, always felt that being kind and humble was a form of being disarming at the same time, especially if we met people who were, were not necessarily as nice as maybe, you know, we were or you were or people that we dealt with. Okay. And I, I think that we found that by being humorous, really created a more you know, equal battlefield, so to speak, or a playing field where people would accept you more if they felt you weren't a threat to them. And 
we've carried that into our professional lives. I mean, Johnny in, in his profession, me in my profession, I mean, it's very important that you learn how to communicate with people uh, on all levels. And that doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, aristocratic in your thoughts or intellectual in your thoughts. I think the ability to connect with somebody uh, at any level is something that you, 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 you learn to cultivate while you're growing up, as John and I did. We grew up in a very, very interesting environment, a lot of hard class, you know, hard working class people, you know, so much to the point where, you know, our dad was a, was a, a top notch musician. He used to play with the big bands in the 1940s. He played with, you know, Glenn Miller's people and Tommy Dorsey's people. And he was a very artistic guy. So I think my, I, my dad uh, was not really a person who ever thought that John and I would become quote unquote professional people because he always was very artistic in his ability. So in many respects, I guess, you know, we, we weren't your typical, you know, cookie cutter type of kid from the neighborhood. And then actually my dad was what would be more happy if we did what? If we were sanitation men, which is I nothing wrong so. with that, or parks department people, because we both used to stab garbage in the parks growing up. I mean, we'd walk around all the parks in Brooklyn. And one thing was for sure, Vinny, it was always the cleanest parks around because we always did our job with very, very, you know, ferv and diligence and conviction. So I think that was one of the things John and I learned growing up is that anything that you do in your life, whether it's washing a car, stabbing garbage, or in this case, being a lawyer or a doctor, you do it the best, best way you possibly can. And that was one of the things that we grew up with learning in the street. The street teaches you that you have one shot. There are no safety nets under you. You're up on that high wire. If you don't have financial backing or if you don't have mentorship of any way, you know, you make that fall, you're going to hit the pavement and you're going to be splattered all over the place. Whereas we learned using our wits and using the experiences we had around us to learn how to cultivate the opportunities that were that were there for us, which weren't always given to us. But, you know, the old expression, you know, you know, if it's there and you don't take it, no one's going to give it to you. When you talk about opportunities, I mean, what, what did that look like? Opportunities, meaning like things that you would do with people on the street, you would learn how to see who was real, who was not real, who was trying to pull a hustle on you, who was trying to rip you off, who was trying to fool you. And I think one of the things we learned was to discern at an early age who the real people were. And you sort of develop this this sixth sense that gives you a sense or a gut instinct that, you know, something doesn't necessarily feel right about something or someone. And John and I uh, always had that ability uh, though in different ways to be able to discern what was real and what wasn't. This is something that, that I've talked about a lot on the podcast. I'm always intrigued by people's per, um, perception of it or understanding of it because we have so many social media experts out there. How do you find if someone's um, real to who they are and maybe it's, they're trying to sell you on something. Do you guys have any insight into that? I think you should go by your gut. Like that's okay. what the book is all about. People who we obviously got uh, written notes from, literally written notes just for us, for this, for this book, basically said it's, it's not an analytical thing. It's a gut thing. Hmm. Um, basically, you follow your gut in almost everything. Hmm. And, you can, and you can use that rule across all fields. And you can use that that rule practically in everything you will ever do or anything you will ever see. 
and that's and that's one one of the better aspects of the of of the book. We don't want to just talk about what or what we found. We want to say what these other folks found, and then we uh, basically took these thirty or, or thirty or or uh, uh, thirty five notes, and and uh, basically they said the same exact basically the same exact thing as we more or less did. It's following your following your gut more than following your mind. And I think too, Vinny, when we chose these people, as you know, we have people like uh, Dr. Tony Fauci, Ariana Huffington, Bob Costas, Michael Imperioli, uh, Joe Piscopo, for instance, you know, Governor David Patterson, Governor Phil Murphy, Representative Peter King, you know, Bonnie Fuller, you know, we have this really interesting group of people. And someone recently asked me, well, what made you pick this group? I said, well, John and I said, what group would never, ever, ever want to sit down with each other and have dinner? And that was the way we sort of picked it out, that we got all of this different type of, of, of a orientation. But the interesting thing, as John had alluded to, is that every one of these people, as diametrically opposed as they may have been, all came up with the same feeling that it was the sixth sense that gives them that feeling, you know. And actually, Johnny Johnny speaks about the sixth sense in the book as being a form of ESP or extrasensory perception. John, you could elaborate more on that. We all have it. There isn't a single human being who doesn't have that for 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 a basic lack of a bad word, ESP, looking at someone and picking up signs as well as hints that ordinarily you would not basically see. Just following and to this this or this person's good or this person's bad. You have it. Everyone viewing this has has it is well. All every single one of these folks who who have who have been giving us the written notes say exactly as we are we are basically saying. Street smart is something everyone has. There's no human being that does not have it, uh, more, more or, or or less. Well, when you talk about gut, kind of sixth sense, right? I mean, it's something, and I would say that it's over time you can refine it, or maybe in, in your sense, basically, you can understand it better. Because I know, I mean, there's been times when I was younger, or some people that I worked with, where when I first met them, I would I would take all their lies hook, line, and sinker. And then over time, I learned how to pick up, okay, this is this is speaking the truth. This is probably a lie right here. So that's something it, it was refined over time. Is there a way to expedite that aspect to refine that sixth sense, that uh, uh, that gut? Yes. Um, when uh, Many years, many years, years back, I was involved with, with uh, what amounts to an ESP lab. Okay. It was run by a college it was run by a hospital, by a hospital, and it was run by the, by the army of all of the places, and it basically tried to figure out how people would pick up these uh, these uh, these hints, how you basically him pick up these uh, these many many hints, and you know we are getting these uh, these hints, and literally every day is you just have to focus on that person watch 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 what they are what they are saying but uh, but try to figure out okay where is the person really coming from 
what is your hunch about this? And, you know, we actually write, just because they will a smile doesn't make them friendly. Something which, which we learned from, 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 from our uh, dad. And, and it's just you focusing, you looking, you observing, not running through your mind, just running through your heart. And, 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 and it's not just us saying it, it's all these other folks are saying it is, it is a critical skill. It is a, a, a use that we, that we uh, lose as we get older. Oh, in some ways, we, uh, we use our mind more. We say, well, this guy is coming from this angle, and yet we don't feel where he or she is actually coming from. Yeah, also, I mean, I, I, oh, sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, but also we have a reference point. You know, when, you've got, when you get burned enough along the way, you get scammed, you get fooled, you know, that's part of your learning base. And that sort of kicks into your ESP sense that John, John was just you know, alluding to. And I think that's the greatest thing is that, you know, it's so important that when you get involved with people in business, you never want to get involved with someone who's only been totally successful. Okay. Because I, I'm not saying this in, in, a, in a crazy sense, but it's a lot easier to be, quote, unquote, totally successful. We want to be involved with people who've had failures. And the reason why is that it's your ability, as I'm sure you found as well in your business, your ability to come back, to rebuild, to learn how to deal with a problem, et cetera. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about Street Smart and how this whole ESP thing comes in is that, you know, you, lo you use these, these little experiences to help build your confidence, build your acuity, et cetera. So in many respects, I always found that to be kind of interesting that, you know, you, you use these quote unquote failures to also pick the people that you want to work with. Because look, you know, the old expression, you want to be next to someone in the foxhole who's been shot at a couple of times, who's had bombs blow up around because when the bombs stop, you know, dropping, everybody starts running the other way. You want to have someone in your corner, whether it be your business, your, your professional life, your personal life, that knows what it's like to be bombed on and be able to re to resist it or to deal with it or to come back with it. So that, that was one of the beautiful things about growing up the way we grew up. We, we were equally surrounded by, by failures as well as people that were successful. What, what was a, um, growing up like a failure that pops in your head? Well, ba what would you say? Failure, basically, we, uh, we saw folks uh, who did not seize what what they probably should have seized, did not follow up on something which they themselves saw first. A lot of people see things first, and it may not be the wealthiest person. It may not be the it definitely may not be the uh, the uh, uh, the most schooled person. May not be basically it is a person who we saw came up with something pride everyone else something you know a new a new way to basically look at look at life and look at solving something look at giving a, a you know a the kind of service that no one else did and and they either seized it or in most most of the cases they did not seize it and also claiming something you know ambition is an important thing i mean some people are benignly ambitious, ambitious, and some people are 
you know, I use the term, excuse me, malignantly ambitious, okay? And I think that's important too. You know, I look at our dad, for instance, who was an amazingly gifted person. As I said, he's a world-class musician, but he also had a flair for the arts, as I mentioned. And, you know, one of the things John and I spoke about earlier was that my father came up with the original idea for the CBSI, and we had pictures of it. And what he did was he had submitted it into somebody, and next thing you know it, they said, well, thank you very much. And then 10 years later, there's the CBSI. And I think what, what we're talking about a failure here is the ability to not follow through and to, and to not seize an opportunity. And that's one of the things we learned from our dad, because unfortunately, he came from a coal mining town in a place called Freeland, Pennsylvania. Okay. And, you know, he grew up with a, when his father wasn't alive for a very long period of time. And he, unfortunately, he was never given opportunities. And I think he lost that edge that John and I have because he was always being coddled or he was always being, you know, nurtured. And you don't get that sense of hunger. I mean, you know, we used to get up in the morning and I say, okay, where are we going today? What are we going to do? You know, what business are we going to start? And then who are we going to find out is trying to screw us over? You know what I'm saying? It was kind of always very different. And, you know, when you talk about failure, going back to your original question, I mean, I look at failure as, as someone not seizing the opportunity or not following through on an opportunity, you know. And that's one of the beautiful things about, you know, growing up the way we grew up. And you look at some of the other people that we reference in our book, someone like Steve Schwarzman, brilliant, brilliant guy, you know, CEO of Blackstone, you know, started out his his career mowing lawns in the suburbs of Philadelphia. OK, but, you know, the, the key thing is what Steve was trying to say inside his book, what it takes is pe pretty much if you have an idea and if you don't follow it through and nurture it every day and, and kick butt every day, you can't expect yourself to get the type of a result down the road. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up for failure. So I think the ambition cycle here is really important. I think uh, one of the problems we find with with a lot of today's kids is that there is that 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 hunger is not really there anymore. And the reason why we're all guilty of this, you know, we have children. Uh, we try to coddle our kids because we never want them to say, oh, well, I never want my kid to grow up like I did, you know, not having this. And we think we're doing them a favor, but we're actually doing them a major disservice because we're not preparing them for what's actually coming down the pike. And that was one of the reasons why John and I wanted to do Street Smart. We wanted to introduce this new population, these kids in their 20s, their teens, their 30s, you know, into the fact that, look, the skills that you need now to survive, unfortunately, you were not exposed to or taught along the way, which we find to be a major problem and a major red flag, which is one of the reasons why John and I were compelled to do the type of book that we did. What what was that drive? What was that 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 why for you to have that hunger for both of you guys? Hey, today, what business are we going to do? How are we going to do this? What was the, the why behind that? Well, I think the other thing is that we grew up again. We grew up on the other side of the tracks. Okay. You know, we were privileged to have gone to these really great high, a really great high school that was in a very luxurious, you know, Tory end of Brooklyn called Shore Road, a place called Severian High School. And John and I came from a place where there was dilapidated railroads, you know, buses, et cetera. And John and I were then exposed to all of these kids, you know, who had, you know, successful professional parents. They were people of wealth and means. And we realized something that, look, you know what? There must be something to this. However, even at that age, we said, well, wait a minute. 
we probably have an advantage because we've been able to do so well without these things. So we might as well learn a couple of these techniques from these other people, incorporate it with our background and our training, and then hopefully turn it into something more successful. And I have to say, one of the things I love about, I look back on, on the all the kids that we went to school with, and I'd say, John and I have done, you know, comparatively very well compared to the most of our contemporaries at that time. And again, I think it's because we were not nurtured, unfortunately. I mean, of course, our mom loved us. Our dad loved us. You know, we, there was always a roof over our head. But we didn't get the type of nurturing that these kids, even at that age, got. And that was a big part of this, is that we got this hunger. You know, we used to come out of our, our house in the morning and wait for the bus on the corner, then have to sit on a bus uh, for, for 45 minutes to get to our school and then see these kids really well-dressed in like, you know, penny loafers and Izod Lacoste shirts and things like that. And we were coming into, into class wearing sweatshirts and old sneakers. And, you know, and of course we became a little bit of, we were ridiculed a little bit, but what happened was it really put the fire in our belly that we used to say, you know what, you could say what you want to say now. And we had a, we had an English teacher named Jim Martin who we refer to in our book. And, you know, we had these prep kids all around us. And he once said to John and I in his crazy voice, he goes, the only difference between you guys and the prep boys is that, is that they talk better than you do. And I'll never, I'll never forget that, you know, but of course, later on, John and I did something very different. You know, my, our mother was very progressive. She sent John and I for elocution lessons. So, you know, we went from speaking, you know, Kings County English to Queens English, you know what I'm saying? And the Brooklyn way. And we learned how to enunciate things and how to express ourselves. And it was kind of fascinating watching the progression of things because our mom was very progressive that way, you know, and she, you know, she herself was, was extremely, extremely ahead of her time. And we love our mom for that too, because she was really a person that helped to put us on the map. Was there a time or when was that time where that, that hunger, you could, it, the hunger was almost satisfied. We were like, I, we kind of made it. Was there a moment you can think back on? Well, I'll tell you something. This is the thing, you know, as I'm sure you know as well, when you're successful, it's what's next. Yeah. What's next? You know, we're not comfortable or happy just saying, okay, well, we made it here. Let's sit on our laurels for the next 20 years. Impossible. Impossible. I look at all the successful people that we deal with and they all say the same thing. You know, when I want to die, I'll retire, basically. You know, when I when I don't, when I don't want to be active again, I'll, I might as well check out. So I think that's a big part of it, too, is that, you know, you always want to stay on point and you always want to be able to get to the next step if possible. But I, I think what you're alluding to is that when is enough enough, correct? Is that what we're talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's a I guess an idea, right? You go away from pain. Right. And there's probably the pain of not be, of being one of those people that you had to kind of live near right now, the people you went to school with. Right. Or going towards that pleasure of maybe helping out the youth of tomorrow. Right. By writing your book. I mean, so there is probably a time, I would guess, that you go, you know what? Hey, we have a practice or I have a practice. I'm successful. I can be say I'm successful and I'm I'm more with the people that I went to school with than the people I live near. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But, you know, again, the difference about that, Benny, is that that's that's financial success. OK. Yeah. And, and honestly, where we come from, that's that's one dimensional. We mm -hmm. believe in inspiring people, making a difference in somebody's life, making introductions for people that you believe in, 
that's really what we're talking about here. So was our, it- you know, our example of success is that, I mean, it's not having a great practice or whatever. It's about being able to positively influence and make a difference in people's lives. I think that's really what the greatest success is, which in our case, we never can get enough of that. Well, when, when was that switch, right? I mean, because there's a lot of people starting a business right now and they're thinking about how they're going to feed their family, right? And they're, they're, now there are people out there that go, I'm working today because I want to basically help other people out. But it's hard to really do that until you actually know where your next meal is coming from. You kind of have that baseline. Was there a switch or has it always been like, we need to be successful so we can help out other people? Well, I think because of our environment, again, growing up in a, a very, very hard, lower middle class environment, we realize the importance of loyalty, mm. friendship, mentoring, etc. And I think that's the advantage that we had that maybe other kids don't have because they didn't feel they, they had the need to do that. Mm. And I think that's what get, makes the street kid so special these days, or certainly when we were growing up, mm. is that we were we were raised in a way where it was the big picture. It was well-rounded. It was family. It was friends. It was school. It was working, you know, cause we all worked. You know, John and I used to work as little kids. You know, we, we used to run the, the, the delivery service for the Chinese laundry, you know, and my mother used to be concerned because we had this Sanker bottle. They used to have Sanker. It shows that we're dating ourselves. <laughs> and it was always full of not nickels, but quarters and dollars. So my mom thought at our age, we were maybe running numbers, or doing something. Oh, the old name. Oh, everyone's winding numbers. She them. said to me, you're making more money than your father did. I said, yeah, well, because we used to work a hell of a lot harder, too. You know what I mean? But we used to have a lot of fun, though, going in the neighborhood and stopping off, dropping people's laundry off. And we made quite a killing. And then, of course, the other thing we did we loved is we used to take we, we also came from a very, you know, ethnic area, too, where there was many religions. You know, we were very, very fond and still are of the Jewish community. And John and I on Fridays would pretty much function as the Shabbos Goyim. Basically, we would be the non-Jewish guys that would do the things that the Jewish people couldn't do because of the Sabbath. We'd open up their lights. We'd open up their mail. And, you know, we used to make a lot of money from doing that. You know, there was like 50 families in the area. So the joke was that John and I were the only kids that went to Catholic school that liked Hanukkah more than Christmas because we used to get Hanukkah gelt. From our neighbors so i think that passion that community service but like johnny says in the book he goes there's nothing wrong with making an honest dollar either so we used to have fun at the same time john i think you're about to say a couple things do you have anything that you want to throw out there rocky was the most street smart guy of us both and when he got out of his medical school i actually gave him some terrible um news terrible advice i said listen why don't you just go to queens or 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 uh, some other working class or a middle class neighborhood and start up your practice there and rocky said you know i think if you're going to bust your rump why not start someplace high up so he goes of all places to where the wealthiest part of the world as far as <laughs> as always oh, as far as the medical world i'm not referring to anything else Medical world. And that was the Upper East Side. Zip code 10021. And you got to remember something. He worked <laughs> like a dog. He worked like a dog. All kinds of funny, funny hours, weekends. And what happened? It obviously paid off very well. 
And and like I'm saying, he actually thought, listen, let me go on the upper east side. And I was saying, well, you know, yeah, fine. And but he actually pulled it off. He actually was merging with these very wealthy folks. Um, and what happened, and of course, the wonderful thing about them is they would pay. They didn't have to, have to worry about the medical reimbursement from an insurance company. They would pay cash. They would pay, you know, and he was actually able to become a wealthy guy and, and someone well-known in his field. He has many, many um, sites to his name. He has invented many things. And, and, and it's come because he said, let me think outside the box. Let me add that street, street smart of thinking, well, maybe a medical practice in the Upper East Side is not further from my, from my goals. Perhaps it's closer. And so that's where street smart really comes from. You had mentioned the uh, the flex of the point. Where 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 this all came came. We both developed it, but he actually used it first. And he went to the Upper East Side, and became uh, perhaps the most famous guy in his field. Certainly, you know, in his 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 field, written many many books. So he actually didn't follow. Uh, uh, the 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 base say you know advice of start off small go inside of a go inside of a middle class neighborhood he went to the far end but but i must say something though there's a lot to be said you need to have mentorship and i once said this at a i gave the commencement address uh, at a high school level to a severian high school and i was thanking all the the teachers that were up on stage. And at that time, John was also on the faculty. And I turned and I said, look, I said, but the most the, the most gratitude I have is for my absolute hero. And I said, my brother, John. And the place went crazy because, look, it just showed that no matter what, you always need people to look up to. And I always looked up to my brother, John. He was super, super smart. But you know what I loved about him the most? He was a kind person, kind, caring. Anyone he interacted with, he always cared about. I learned a lot from Johnny watching him. I was more the guy that would take on 10 kids in the schoolyard. I mean, they come after me with pipes and chains and whatever. And he'd say, Rock, don't do that. You know, be, you know, be cool. You know, cool. Cool your temper down, you know. And in that respect, you know, that's where that balance of things comes in. But that's also where the whole sense of family comes in. So in many respects, you know, Johnny, Johnny's talking about in terms of what we base on street smarts actually comes from the influence that John had on me. So I was very fortunate to have had that. And I still am, you know? So, so I have a, a brother that I'm, that I love to death. We've kind of lived together. I have sisters, all that stuff. And I can see the, the, the bond that, that you two have, right. And you both are successful in your own field and kind of doing this partnership together. And when was the last time you guys competed on something? You had, Something small, because I know with my brother, no matter how much I love him, I still love to compete with him. Is there something that you guys still compete with? Nothing. No. Nothing. No. 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 Nope. We're like we're like this in many ways. Um, we 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 bounce things off each other, mm. and, and sometimes off each other's heads. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, he might say, well, I might say, I might say that actually. You know, no, Johnny, Johnny, we did compete. A, we did compete for one thing. What's that? 
never forget this. There was a, a John when John John was a brilliant summa cum laude a journal club, you know, deadline club member when he was in college. And the dean at the time had this absolutely stunning, beautiful daughter from England. She was spitting, <laughs> Kim. Right, Kim. Kim. She was a spitting image of a young Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, wow. So Johnny's having a party one night and the doorbell rings and it's raining and pouring outside. And I figure, okay, one of Johnny's guests was there. I open up the door and there's this stunning young lady. Stunning. I said, oh, my God, it's Elizabeth Taylor. You know, this is great. So she comes in with an English accent, which I never heard at that point in you person. I mean, we'd watch Very it on yeah, we'd watch it on television. So we both had a fancy for her. It was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So then my brother says to me later on, he goes, "Don't even think about it." I says, <laughs> "You know what I'm talking about." So as being true gentlemen, I had backed off, and of course she was crazy about him. But that was like the only time I could ever think that we really Don't had be. any. Yeah, I mean, it didn't last very long. But it was such a funny thought, though. But in terms of like competition with with uh, within the family, no. well, no, no. But you know, John and I were always in a different part of the family anyway. You know, we, a lot of our, we love our cousins and our our aunts and our uncles, but they really didn't get a sense of who we were in terms of our ability to to move ahead. You know, people would sometimes say, "Well, what do you want to do that for?" You know. You know, why aren't you just happy being, you know, a nice kid from the old neighborhood? I said, well, it doesn't mean that we're not nice kids from the old neighborhood. But we didn't necessarily get the, f- the, f- the family support that we would have loved to have gotten. You know, the only person that really stood up for us was our mother. And she was a depression baby. You know, she's 91 years old right now, still telling John and I what to do, which is good. All right. And I, I think the thing was that, you know, we were we were cultivated by her. Because her environment around her, I mean, they were nice people, her brothers, her sisters, her parents, her, her whole family. They didn't have that understanding uh, about what my mom wanted John and I to be able to do later on. So in many respects, you know, the matriarchal influence of an Italian family is a perfect example. Where in this case, my mother sort of went outside of the box from her family and also sometimes to her detriment and raised John and I very differently. And you know, to this day, and I don't want to say this, I mean, you know, in terms of what we've been able to accomplish, John and I are very, very, very happy that we've been able to make some contributions to the world and to our respective fields. If, let's say, you I mean, tomorrow's not, I mean, when, when you, when you're not here on earth anymore, is there something that you're, that you want your kids or people that read your books to say, hey, this is what, John and Rocky meant to the world. I mean, is there something there that uh, that pops in your head that you want to kind of leave for a legacy? I think we would want them to have fun. Okay. Not just our own kids or our grand grandkids. We want to have fun and yet do well. Go forward. Do what they really. One thing which I must say: do what you really want, even if it takes you a while. Even if you, if, even if it looks looks terribly bleak, do what you want. Have fun in, in doing what you want. You find one helps out having fun and having the next best thing so in life. That is, that is what I want. Yeah, I, I think John is, is, as usual, spot on correct. And I think we got that same sense of what he's 
sharing with us now when we were growing up and we had fun with people and we showed the lighter side of things. But at the same time, we were razor sharp in our observations. You could have been making jokes and laughing and being kind and funny and whatever, but we always kept things in a certain perspective. You know, and I think the important thing that that we all like to do is, especially at our at our stage in our lives, because we're older now, obviously, is that you also want to say at one point, you know what, my life was relevant, which means it had an impact in a positive way on someone. You know, DiMaggio used to always say, you know, Joe, you know, you're, you guys are 15 games out of first place. And why are you playing so hard? You know, and Joe's famous response, Vinny, was, well, basically, there may be a person in that crowd that has never seen me play and has seen me play for the first time. And I never want to show them that I didn't give 100% effort. And that's this whole thing about being relevant. And John and I, uh, in different ways, because we're different people, uh, you know, we want to be relevant. And relevant doesn't necessarily mean, you know, self-actualization or, you know, or being pompous. It has to do with a, a nice influence, a positive influence on people, which is what Street Smart was all about. We want to be able to help today's kids, especially after what's happened during COVID, where you know it's changed our world. It's changed the way we think about things. And this was another example where these poor kids now are, again, being coddled and protected and not being able to see what's around the corner. So how are we going to deal with the next COVID episode or the next pandemic? Because, you know, there will be another something like this in the future. I mean, it only it's only the law of odds. And I think that was one of the beautiful things about Johnny spoke about. We spoke about the whole theory of survival. This is about survival, which is actually now the new form of success, being able to survive in today's toxic, ever-changing environment is probably one of the most important determinants of success. You basically must must live to more or less do more. You got to be able to go forward by staying healthy, by using your street smart, because you are really the only one who is able to be doing that. You cannot go and lean on something else. You can't lean on another human being because there's a lot of, of, of uh, things go going around now. There's, there's a lot of things going on. There are a lot of companies failing, a lot of people uh, sick. You got to, you got to, basically stand in your own shoes. You got to basically use street, street smart. Well, thank you, John and Rock, for being on the Road Trip Podcast. Um, if you, if, if everyone listening right there, go on the show notes, uh, go find, I mean, you can buy street smarts on all platforms, right? Amazon, everything like that. And it's pretty easy. I mean, if you, even if you Google it, uh, people listening, street smarts, you're going to find it. Um, yeah, thank you guys so much for kind of all you're doing out there. I mean, I appreciate basically the simple thing of how much you guys are uh, have that bond between you two. Uh, that's something rarely do, do I see on here. I mean, I see partnerships and I see kind of the synergy there, but you can definitely feel, um, and hopefully people watching can feel it, people listening, I think you're going to feel it, that love that you two have right there and kind of how you look out for each other. Uh, thank you guys uh, so much. I hope everyone listening got some great nuggets right there. I mean, there's so many quote unquote scams out there. I get five to 10 calls a day about someone trying to scam me. As you know, so Street Smarts, I mean, is a great book for those people that are getting into profession. Read the book, understand, 
And if, if one thing for me, if you can't figure out where that person's coming from, and I think basically you guys have kind of said that, then you've got to be a little careful. But go get the book. Uh, any last words you guys want to finish off? No, we look, we appreciate, you know, programs like yourself, what you have, because, look, again, you're a successful fellow. But the fact that you're opening up different perspectives to your audience is really an important part of you contributing and you being relevant to what's going on today. So we both appreciate what you have been doing and what you continue to do. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a great one, everyone. Please listen. Please subscribe. And just go buy the book. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.